0: Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor Terry Thorne delivers the message entitled, The Gift of Letting Go. So join us now from the sanctuary of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Our second
1: reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 33 to 46, and this is a continuation of where we were last Sunday, um, as we make our way through some of the parables that Jesus spoke in the temple. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, and dug a winepress in it and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated him in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they, those listening, said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and given to a people that produces fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him As a prophet this too is the word of the Lord let us pray oh God we give you thanks for this opportunity to be in worship together to hear and read your word to sing your truth and to proclaim your good news We pray that during this time that your Holy Spirit would be among us, silencing any voice other than yours, that your Spirit would open our eyes to see what we may not have ever seen before, to hear the truths that you speak to us, and open our ears, uh, open our lives to be transformed by it. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So in 2019, my husband Rob and I decided to downsize our four-bedroom home in Zionsville to a two-bedroom condo in Broad Ripple. And as you might imagine, after 33 years of marriage and the flight of our two young adult children who did not take their childhood treasures with them, the empty nest was actually not all that empty. There, um, we, there was no way that we could take everything with us. And so we had to spend some time to figure out what's going to make the cut and what needs to find a new home. Well, thankfully, my, our daughter had given me a copy of Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which turned out to be truly life-changing for me. And not in just helping Rob and myself discern what we would do for the move. The journey that's outlined in the book became a spiritual one for me. You see, Kondo's process of tidying up is essentially an examination of what we have and why we have it. Everything, and I do mean everything, in the household gets held up into the light of the question, does this item spark or cause joy for you? If it does, keep it. But if it does not, let it go. Now, this is a very simple concept, but it is not easy to implement emotionally. And so the purpose of her book is to help address those struggles that come with letting go of things. And she encourages her readers to pay attention to how you feel about things, be it a single item or an entire overstuffed storage closet. Her advice is this. Keep those things and only those things that speak to your heart. And then take the plunge and release all the rest. She suggests that we change our perspective and view those items that we aren't going to keep as gifts to be released for another purpose. Rather than see it as something that you've lost, know that they are an opportunity to bring someone else a blessing of joy. And I say this became a spiritual journey for me in that I began to ask that simple question about joy in all aspects of my life. My commitments, my work, the people in my life, my activities and hobbies, and yes, my things. Over and over again, keep only the things that speak to your heart haunted my decision making about much more than what happens with grandma's china or this box of stuffed animals it became a charge to keep only those things that spoke to my heart and also reflect god's heart and so over time this spiritual journey has resulted in changes Changes in my self understanding, in my priorities, and in my relationships. I am much more judicious and discerning about what gets my time and my energy. But I got to tell you, just like Paul, I'm not there yet. I am daily straining toward that goal. And there's nothing about Marie Kondo's methods that are faith based. But the idea of learning to let go, to not grip so tightly, and to focus on that which brings us the joyful life resonates with Christian spirituality. And I. Uh, I believe it feels very Christ-like and holy to consider that all those things with which we have been blessed are not necessarily ours just for the sake of keeping, but we have been blessed so that we are able to release blessings to others. God's desire for God's people is that we live a joyful kingdom life of shalom, of wholeness and justice, and peace. And in Christ, God offers us this life abundantly with the expectation that we will offer it to others as well. In Christ, God has loved us abundantly, claimed us, forgiven us, and made us his, home, his own. And in return for that, God commands that our hearts belong only to him he calls us and he expects us to courageously let go of the things that detract us from his love or which keep us from being our truest selves which is the beloved children of god created in god's image for the purpose of loving god and loving others And so friends, our challenge is basically to let go and let God, to loosen our grip on anything that isn't of God, to live like the autumn leaves that are beautifully starting to turn and fall off the trees, to be willing to let go, virtually die, if you will, in order to create space for that new thing that God has for us. We are called to lose our life in order to gain new life in Christ. That's the offer and the desire of God. But so often, we turn it down. Instead, we cling oh so tightly with almost a death grip to the things that we think will give us security, meaning, or value to the things that we mistakenly believe will prove us worthy or right, to the things that someone told us we should have or need to have or ought to have in order to be loved or lovable. And yes, sometimes those things are material items or financial resources, but often our proverbial fist is clenched around ideas and notions and perspectives, and interpretations, and we cling to the worldly definitions of what is right and normal, and also to our own self-image, regardless of the source of that image. We can't, or we won't, let go. And you know what? We may even know that these things are not serving us well, that they do not bring God's joy and peace to us, but we're still unwilling to let go. I believe it's because it's really difficult to trust that which is unseen, intangible, or unknown. And so like the tenants in the parable, we will go to extremes to protect our sense of self and well-being to protect our perceived position, power, and purpose. Now, isn't it interesting to you that the chief priests and the Pharisees were able to recognize themselves in the parables that Jesus was teaching in and around the temple? With each parable, the tension between Jesus and the religious establishment escalated. It was almost as if Jesus was intentionally turning up the heat and agitating the leadership maybe to force their next move. I mean, if you were here last week, you might recall that disturbing message that Jesus had for the religious leaders in that vineyard parable. He said, The tax collectors and prostitutes will be entering the kingdom of heaven before The priests and the scribes. This week, he basically calls out the leadership for their violent ways and tells them they will be replaced. Now, let me be clear, especially today. There is no reason whatsoever to believe that Jesus meant that all Jews were going to be replaced. Jesus himself was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. The crowds following him were Jews. The tax collectors and prostitutes were Jews. So no, his beef, if you will, was not with all Jews, but with the religious leaders. He despised the oppressive hierarchy of temple wealth and the way the law was used to keep people at an arm's length From God. Jesus understood that he was sent to offer salvation not through the Torah righteousness or adherence to the perfect law, but through his own self. He proclaimed righteousness conferred through faith in God's radical, relentless, pursuing unconditional love and the unbound mercy that God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now this was a message that threatened the entire religious system. And it was a message that would eventually get Jesus killed. He knew it. Those leaders knew it. And by telling that parable in the temple, others started to see it as well and not only did the story reveal the truth about how far the religious leaders had strayed from god's intention for the law it also showed just how tightly their fist of power and privilege was clamped enough to become a weapon that would beat stone and kill rather than be opened to release that which has always belonged to God. They would not open themselves to receive the gift, albeit a power shifting gift, of God's grace. Now, folks, we don't literally beat and stone and kill others. At least I hope not. However, our tightly clenched fists of ego, distrust, and fear, just to name a few, do cause death to our relationships. They wreak havoc on any sense of unity. And it creates a deadness in our own spirit. Not to mention, a clenched fist can neither give nor receive. To fully receive the blessings of God, to fully experience and truly experience God's mercy and grace and peace, to live the life that Christ offers, we must release our grip. Open our hands and receive. Now that, like all aspects of Christ-like kingdom life, is easier said than done. It is difficult to let go of what the world tells us about our worth, our purpose, and our performance. Or about wealth, success, and power. It's not easy to open ourselves to trust that in Christ, God has something far, far better in store. It's a struggle to forget what lies behind, good, bad, or ugly, and strain forward to the unknown that lies ahead. And it is counterintuitive to believe that to lose one's own life was to gain it, to find your true self in Christ. So perhaps that's why it's so difficult to take that first step and unfurl the grip. I think Jesus knew this. It doesn't happen for many of us, it won't happen for many of us, unless, as he says in the Matthew text, We fall on the cornerstone or it falls on us. In other words, in prosperous societies, and the lure of the world's value is so great that it takes an encounter with Christ, the cornerstone, that crushes us, shattering our pride and our ego. And our self-sufficiency so that relying solely on the power of our trying God we are forced to open ourselves we have no choice but to become something new now I wish there was a softer way to describe that um, softer language than what Jesus used or a gentler way for Jesus to get some of our attention But we humans are dense and stubborn creatures. And sometimes it takes a shattering, shocking, bottom-of-the-barrel experience to get us to notice the truth of our own lives and to be open to transformation and change. Just ask Paul, whose name used to be Saul. It took a blinding road to Damascus' experience to get his attention. Saul had to be physically blinded in order to see the truth about his righteousness. That it was not from his robust knowledge or his perfect execution of the law. It wasn't from his lineage or his occupation his righteousness was only from christ our righteousness is only from christ freely given if he would open himself to receive it and he did paul did his life was so transformed that he needed a new name. My cornerstone shattering was precipitated by a spiral into burnout several years ago that many of you know the story. For another friend of mine, it was the sudden loss of their lucrative, powerful employment and all the benefits and perks and identity that came with it. Perhaps you've had your own cornerstone moment yourself. You know that event or situation that causes you to realize that the narrative you've been living is a lie. It is the world's big old deception about what makes life, life. All the drivenness and competition All the efforts to prove your worth or to convince others that you're right, that you're all right, the performance anxiety and the fear of failure, the questioning and second guessing if you're enough, the notion that you are your accomplishments and if they stop so do you. The hoarding and stockpiling that's rooted in a scarcity mindset despite evidence of God's abundance. The huge price we pay with our lives and our relationships and our health in order just to be paid a paycheck. The effort we expend to meet a human definition of what is good, just, and right rather than God's. Even our willingness to sacrifice ourselves, it's not for Christ. It's not even for each other, but it's for a life that looks good on the outside but is hollow inside. Folks, these are lies. These are the lies that the great deceiver wants us to believe to keep us from knowing God's love and mercy And peace. I mean, think about it. Does any of what I just said to you sound like a kind of life that a loving God wants for his beloved? Does it really speak to anyone's heart? Of course not. So, why do we cling to it for dear life? Why do we not embrace the kingdom life instead? what if we said no more no more and choose to embrace the amazing freedom offered the freedom with our time and our energy what if we choose to rest in the contentment with who we are as we are or to grow in the creativity that we can experience, to seek and rejoice in re- healed relationships that are no longer this, to promote unity, to trust the righteousness, to receive and share the love and grace and peace of God. Imagine that. I liken it to what a, right, a rock climber once explained about moving up the face of a rock wall in order to climb higher you must suppress the natural urge to cling tightly to each handhold instead with courage trust and not too much overthinking You must let go of the very thing that gives you a sense of safety and reach toward that which you cannot always see. She said, Scaling rock is far more about letting go than holding on. So too, my friends, is the abundant life of those who walk with Christ far more about letting go than holding on now unlike Paul's lightning bolt embracing a surrendered life to Christ doesn't usually happen overnight and it's not always and only about big changes either it can be small changes over time Maybe you take a few extra minutes of quiet time with God. Or you reduce much of the noise coming at you. I no longer watch any form of television news. It's noise. It could include counseling to help you discover what needs to be released, what you need to let go of. Because you know what? Jesus also works through therapy and therapists. Perhaps you could just start by writing out a few of the scripture verses to remind you of God's promises when you're tempted to listen to the lies. Or choose and explore new friendships that will help you be accountable and they'll hold up a mirror so you can see yourself. I encourage you to seek opportunities to serve others where you have to release. Release the love you've been given. Remember, just as climbing a rock wall takes practice and it takes small, deliberate, incremental releases to get to the top, so does our spiritual growth and transformation. But oh my, the thrill and joy that comes when we do i say to you again a clenched fist can neither give nor receive even now christ invites us to loosen our grip to open ourselves to receive the blessings of living in god's kingdom and to trust in the abundance that allows us to release those blessings to bring joy to others. The question before us today, each of us must ask ourselves: will I? And the prayer is, may it be so.
0: You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the TAB Podcast on your favorite podcast app, or go to tabprez.org, tap on the graphic marked Sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live-streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab.